0: If you're interested in more Bible Project videos, you can find them on YouTube. Um, kids, that's what we're going to talk to mom and dad, grandpa and grandma about today is about parables. So you can go ahead and go downstairs if you'd like to. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, if you didn't bring one with you, you can get one in the, in the pew back or you can follow along with us on the screen. Uh, but we're going to be in Matthew 13 and what we're talking about is the kingdom is like well, what, right? It's this unlikely kingdom. And Jesus uses these, these parables to describe what the kingdom is like. And we have to remember that in the context of Matthew, as you read your Bible, and I hope that you are reading it throughout the week, there's context. And if you know anything about that statement, it's context is king. And so as we look at Matthew 13, we have to take it in context with, of course, Matthew 1 through 12. And Ma- or John, or Matthew... Records Jesus' words has been talking about the kingdom for a while now. Um, he started in three, two, and Jesus is this prophesied Messiah, this Davidic king, and so it's natural that he's talking about the kingdom, and he says things like, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5:10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you remember this, these beatitudes, these Blessed be those who are like, in five, he, he, it's a, the top half and the bottom half are his, starts in those sections of three and ten. But anyway, 520, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never in, inherit the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Matthew six thirty three. Matthew seven twenty one. the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew eight eleven. Matthew 9.35, Matthew 10.17, Matthew 12.28. But if the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so you see this theme. Matthew has done a great job with this theme. And if you haven't seen this theme, then welcome to Matthew, right? And it's this kingdom of God. And so Jesus now is going to talk about some parables. And we're going to try to cover all of the parables that he covers in Matthew 13. There's going to be seven parables of this kingdom. So what is a parable? Well, a parable simply means, the Greek, to cast alongside something. So it's like a simile. It's, that's why he says the kingdom of God is like, right? So it's something that we can compare it to. So we know what this is, and so then from that, see what this might be like also. Does that make sense? And then you might ask the question, well, why teach or speak in parables? You'd be on good ground if you do that, because that's exactly what his disciples ask him also. All these things he said to the crowds in parables and did. He said nothing to them without a parable. This is all the way that Jesus taught to them moving forward. and So they asked the question, why? That might be what you're asking too. Why? Why did Jesus use parables? Now, our video shared us some of those things. sometimes. We do this with our own kids, right? Sometimes things are so big and hard for us to describe as adults to children that we use a, well, it's kind of like this scenario. Well, that's why Jesus would do this too, but there's also other reasons. Jesus gives answer for this. Why did he speak in parables? Because he answered them, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. To the one who have an abundance, but for the one who... "...has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand." And he goes on to also say, "...indeed." In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, "...you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear." And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a little scary to me. So Jesus, by his own admission, is speaking in parables. Those who would come to the kingdom, like our video said, will ponder and understand, and that those who are barred from the kingdom will not understand. I don't know about you, but the reason that that's scary to me is because sometimes, even though I went to seminary, even though it is literally my job to study Scripture, sometimes I look at God's Word and I have trouble understanding. Is anybody else with me? And so I sometimes wonder to myself, you know, which camp do I fall in, Jesus? And so Matthew, of course, says this was to fulfill what was by the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so Jesus is teaching in parables because he is the camp coming king. He's going to say this is what people have been longing to see for generations and generations and haven't seen. And so it was always prophesied for him to teach this way. Let that be not only humbling but mysterious to you this morning. That if by God's grace... You have been saved. He tells us, it is not by your own works that no men can boast. It is a gift of God. That we would have our eyes opened and our ears unstopped, not by our own wisdom and ingenuity, but by the power of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is by your word, by your understanding, that we are healed, that we are given understanding that we are saved. It is not by anything that we have done, and so therefore we give you honor and glory and praise. God, I pray that as we look at these parables this morning, we would, we would see your word in its fullness and in its glory. God, we pray that as we look at these parables, we would see your kingdom is come, that it is here, uh, that you have made it understandable to those who would be yours and hidden it from those who would not, and that is by your good pleasure So it's in your name that we pray that we might be those who understand. Amen. So the first parable that we talk about here, let me go back. Here's what I'm getting at with this whole section. Jesus teaches about the kingdom that although unrecognized and rejected by many is currently hidden in plain sight and accomplishing its purpose, and will one day be revealed to all, either to their glory or to their destruction. That's why Jesus is speaking this way, and that's the message that I have for you in whole. Let's go through these one parable at a time. The first one is the sower. Uh, the first parable there is in 13, 3 through 9. It says, uh, Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them, and Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and and choked them. And then in verse 8, other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, of course, Jesus explains this. And so if you want to know the explanation right from the preacher's mouth, you can read in Matthew 13, 18 through 23, where Jesus gives this explanation. Some things that I want to share with you that stuck out to me as I'm reading this, because I can't improve on Jesus' explanation, but simply call your attention to some things that spoke to me this week. And so the first would be this, the sower doesn't change. He doesn't. The sower has one job, he does his job, and he does his job well and good, doesn't he? The sower's job is to sow seed. And so that's what he does. Also, the seed doesn't change. The seed in this parable is God's Word, if you read the explanation here. The sower is Jesus. He's going to talk about that in the next parable about the weeds. And so God is the sower. Jesus is the sower. He sows this into the world. It's the same seed that falls on all of these different things. And so what must the problem be by process of logical elimination? It's not the sower. It's not the seed. It must be, if you're a preacher, what that starts with S? The soil. soil. You're right. You nailed it. It's got to be the soil that's the problem. And so we have these different kinds of soil. And he explains these different kinds of soil. I'll go over them with you real quickly. You can check me on 13, 18 through 23 as Jesus does this. But you have the path. This is the hard section that nothing can grow. And the birds, it says, comes and snatch up the seed before it can do anything. And it would be hard for it to anyway because it's a path that's hard. There's the rocky section where the sun that is meant to bring growth, in fact, scorches it. Perhaps you've seen this in your own life or in those that you love. I won't use him by name. I don't know if he's alive or dead. I don't know if he's still in Michigan or not. I have no idea about him. He was a fleeting acquaintance in my, in my early salvation. Uh, but when I was in Western Michigan University, there was a young man uh, who I had the privilege of being able to witness to who by all admission of himself came to know Christ and wanted to follow the Lord. And it lasted about a month until he went went back to the house parties, went back to the lifestyle, went back to doing whatever he thought was right in his own eyes, and it just did not last. For my own self, there has been times in my own life where the sun persecution, that is meant to bring me growth has beat down upon me and I have felt myself withering. I have felt my leaves curling, especially during this time. If you have a garden like my wife and I do, we were looking at our tomato plants the other day, and we had to Google, what does it mean when your tomato plants' leaves curl? It's a self-defense mechanism. But it's the same when, when the sun of persecution beats down on these plants. They just don't have the roots, so they're scorched and they're withered. So I want to ask you this morning, is the sun beating on you? Do you feel the persecution? Do you feel the things of this world or family members or health situations? Is there something that is meant to bring you growth, but yet you're feeling yourself being scorched by it? And I would just turn your attention to this parable and say, Brother or sister then, dig your roots in deep. next soil, of course, there is the thorny soil. The thorny soil is interesting because, again, if I can go back to our garden, we have weeds that grow in our garden. Not in my section, because I did it right. In Elisa's section, there's weeds. <laughs> there are weeds in my section, you just can't see them. So here's, here's what we did this year. Uh, we, we tilled it up, we fertilized it. Now, I bought some weed barrier on my half, and why is there half and half? Because somebody didn't agree with me that this was the best method. So we have different halves, and hers is just as well, by the way, so... Probably better in many regards. But I put weed barrier down, and then on top of the weed barrier, uh, we would cut holes through, and that's where we'd plant our little seedling plants. And then on top of that, I put straw on top of there because I'm lazy. I don't have time to weed. But the fact of the matter is what we noticed is that even in my section, somehow these weeds were pervasive. Somehow, even though I put the weed barrier down, even though I put uh, straw on top of it, did my best effort to, to... starve them from everything, somehow there's little sections where they'll, they will literally, they will pop up through the weed barrier and through the straw, and there's also sections that we can see that the weed barrier is actually starting to get flooded and we have to go out there and stomp it down because the weeds are pushing up the weed barrier. I guess she has the last laugh after all. But the fact of the matter is, just like our garden, our own hearts can grow this way that the fact of the matter is these thorns were told to us they're going to grow back in Genesis. That because of the fall, there's going to be gardening with thorns and thistles and by the sweat of our brow. Why is it the sweat of Adam's brow? Because now he has to work. Now there's work that has to be done. And for us, it's a different kind of work. It's a heart work. We have to be spiritually wise and spiritually discerning. We have to be in prayer that God... The Great Garden Tender would be about the business of showing us these weeds and helping us to pluck them. Because the fact of the matter is, just like any garden, it can start off really well, but if we neglect to weed it, over time it will sap the strength. You know, we might say, oh, a day or two can go by and we don't have to tend the garden. Maybe that's okay. But over time that continued slothfulness the continued laziness the continued spiritual complacency on our own part will allow these thorns to grow to the place where they will choke the life out of this plant. You see the similarity in our own hearts. We get so caught up with good things. It's good to care and minister to family. It's good to work. It's good to go to school. It's good to store up money for later things and to worry about our kingdom here, but that's not the main thing. As a young man, I used to think going to the gym was very important, and now that I'm married, I see that it's less so. That was supposed to be way more funny than that. But the fact of the matter is, he said, you know, physical training, and the Bible says physical training is of some good, but spiritual, spiritual training is all the more, because it's good for this life and the life to come. We should be about the business of asking God not only... To help our roots grow deep in the face of rocky soil, but also to help us pull these thorns and thistles so that, although they are slow and relatively unnoticed, will not choke the life out of us. And that is the problem with the soil. And so how do we identify good soil? Now, here's something that's interesting. If you're a farmer, if you know a farmer, if you've ever planted a garden, there's no way I can get all the rocks out of my garden. And there's no way that I can get all the weeds out of my garden but I can still have a good garden. You see in here it says that this was good soil. He doesn't say it's a soil without rocks and it's a soil without weeds. What he does say is it's good soil, which means it's soil that's often tended. It's soil that's often weeded. And so how do we recognize good soil? Well, obviously by the growth. See, brother or sister in Christ, are you growing? And I can't answer that for you. And unfortunately, I think the way that God has built us, if we're humble, we can't answer that for ourselves. That's why we need one another. That's why we need community. That's why we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us, encourage us, but also rebuke us. To show us where our shortcomings are, but also to encourage us to continue the fight of faith. And also be encouraged with this, what does the growth look like? Some are more and some are less. Meaning any growth is good growth. It doesn't matter if you're here today and you're one of those ears of wheat that only has two court kernels, brother or sister, at least you have two kernels, which is two more kernels than you may have had last week. So maybe you're of the 30 or 60 or 100 and it doesn't matter because in Christ's kingdom there are no such thing as super saints. We like to think of them, Paul and Barnabas and those, but he would say he is a child of wrath just like us. He gets he gets no more grace, no more mercy, no more forgiveness than we do. We all are of the same blood, of the same cross, of the same Christ. And so I just want to simply ask, are you growing? Be encouraged this morning that the soil is measured by the growth. Or be encouraged to seek more growth for yourself. And the next parable that Jesus gets to is very similar to this. It's the weeds. And so it's natural as he talks about planting that which is to be harvested that he would also talk about that which is planted which is harvested but not for the glory of God but rather for the destruction of that which is harvested, the weeds or the tares on which version you have, right? I don't know what a tare is but I know what a weed is so that's what we'll use. But Matthew 13, 24 through 30 says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field. Now again, the sower is good. The seed is good. The field, this is where it's been tended, right? This is supposed to be the good soil. This is where he's planting the seed. I just want to go back just for a minute. Understand also, these are like brother, sister or right-hand, left-hand parables. I hope that you see that here. Understand that the soil that has been tilled, this idea that's the soil that He wants to take root. But understand that our Savior sows liberally, that He sows seed among the path and the rocks as well as the good soil. Understand that and be blessed and encouraged by that, that if you have a friend or a family member who may seem to be in opposition of the Word, all it takes is a little hoeing, a little weeding, a little rock removal, And they're good soil. So pray for that. So he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have weeds? Apparently these people have never had a garden in their lives, right? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now here's the interesting things about this parable that has stuck out to me. He also explains this again. So if you want to hear this right from Jesus' mouth, please go to Matthew 13, 36 through 43. You can read that for yourself. I cannot necessarily improve upon that by any means. I can just point out some things to you that I see. So the first is this. It says right here, the sower sows good seed. Beloved, God's word is good. I don't care how it strikes you. It's good. I have people who tell me sometimes, I can't believe a God in the Old Testament would do the things that he does. Listen, God's ways are not your ways. His ways are too deep for you to fathom. That sounds like a cop-out. It's not. I just understand my place before God. I don't, I don't explain my daily behavior to the ant that I pass coming over here to, or doing what I do, nor do I expect God to explain himself to me. He gives us Job. He never explains to Job. It just is what it is. And Job rightly understands, I'll put my hand over my mouth. I said once one thing. I won't do it again. I'm done. You're God, I'm not. Okay, do what you want. And that's, unfortunately, that's just how it is. But the sower sows good seed. His word is good. It might be a fragrance of offense to us sometimes, but all that means is God is doing his good work to show us where the, where the rocks or the thorns are in our own heart. I want to ask you as you look through this, you have it before you. When did the bad weeds start to grow? When did they get sown? When did the weeds get sown? It says here that while his men were sleeping. Men of the church, you know when the bad doctrine comes in? When you sit idly by and just allow some schlub on the pulpit to say everything. Are you studying to find yourself approved? Are you holding one another accountable? Are you seeking to be a man on the watch, or are you sleeping? Because the fact of the matter is, when we are asleep, that's when the enemy comes in. Jesus even says to his own apostles, his own disciples, Could not you keep watch for me for but an hour? Let that be a rebuke for us also. Brothers and sisters, I believe that the time is growing short. All the more then, watch. All the more, wait. All the more, be on guard as our good shepherd has called us to do, and not just men, but women also. You don't get off the hook. If you're a Christian, it's your job too. But it says, By what, when his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds. Where were they sown? Look around you. This field that has been tilled and will continue to be tilled and will continue to be, have thorns and weeds pulled This is where weeds grow. I hope that that is a sobering reminder to you, to work your faith out with fear and trembling, lest in the end you prove yourself to be a weed and not a wheat. Because Jesus said earlier, remember, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and I will tell them, depart from me after I never knew you. You see, the fact of the matter is, this, these weeds were sown right alongside the wheat. And then what does the enemy do? He leaves. False doctrines, false Christians, this is what Satan does. He is in the business of counterfeit. And the fact of the matter is, is we won't know until the end. Is that not sobering to you? That also the wheat and the weeds grow with one another until the end, when the harvest comes? The fact of the matter is, it takes time to see the difference. The other thing that this shows me is, Weeds are inevitable and they will always be there. And so therefore, we must stay awake and be watchful and be vigilant. It also shows me that by good's, God's grace, he doesn't snuff out the weeds. Because who knows? By God's good grace, that weed might turn into wheat if left along the wheat long enough. Now, of course, in gardening terms, that doesn't happen, right? Right? I don't have a dandelion that becomes a tomato plant. If I just just put the dandelion with the tomato plants long enough, maybe it'll just decide it's a tomato plant. It's not how it works in gardening, but that is how it works in God's kingdom because we are not plants. We are people. We are souls that can be saved. And so be encouraged that although this good soil has weeds in it, the wheat may also have an effect on the weeds. But be careful that the weeds don't have the effect on the wheat. And then also, I guess, we can be encouraged or you can be warned that one day the weeds will be rooted up indeed and that it won't be always the case. And that as Jesus explains this, these weeds that stand for those who are the unsaved, those who are the false Christians in the kingdom, that they'll be thrown out and unfortunately there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth as they are thrown into the furnace. This place called hell. There's a real hell where there's real suffering. And there's a real barn, which is really the mansion Up above, right? The kingdom of the skies, the heaven that we can be entered into by God's grace. Last thing that I would tell you is this. How does the wheat get to the barn? It doesn't get up and walk there on its own. It has to rely on the field owner of the harvest to carry it there. All the wheat can do is exactly what the wheat is called to do, which is simply... Seek to produce fruit. That's all it's called to do, and that's enough. Because at the end, as it's harvested, the one who owns the field will carry it to the barn. It needs to do nothing on itself. I pray that that's an encouragement to you this morning. We have plenty of other parables here. We won't get through them all. So we're going to hack it off probably after this one, the mustard seed. The mustard seed is, I didn't hear here, the third one. We'll see that in verses 31 through 32. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. There's a lot of fielding and sowing here, isn't there? It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make a nest in its branches. Now, I have to do this. We're going to take these two together, because I think they belong together, and I'll explain why in just a minute. The next one is the leaven, 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, now here's the deal. If you have been in church long enough, you have probably heard this. If you read your Bible, I'm sure you've read this or you've seen a preacher on it or you've heard a podcast on it or whatever. Even in the video we just watched, they talk about this and they say, you know, this leaven or this mustard seed is this idea of growth in the kingdom in this world, right? So the leaven goes into there. You can't see it working, yet it, it changes everything. That's what they said on the video. That's a very common interpretation of this. That's probably right. Let me tell you another way I saw it, which is probably wrong. That's fine. But you can decide And maybe it's not, because bear in mind, it does say at the end of this that we're supposed to read these and take out new things as well as old. So that doesn't necessarily mean this is wrong, but I'm okay with being wrong because I'm not perfect. So understand that this is my understanding of it, but the growth of the kingdom is probably one. A second one is this, a warning for the false things that will take place. Why do I say this? Because of the illustrations that Jesus has already used here. One, and firstly, is this the birds that are nesting in this are probably the same birds that are snatching away the seed off the path. Not good imagery for birds. Birds are usually the ones that come. Carrion are the one that usually come after a war. They're the one that gather at the great day of Armageddon. Birds, historically and biblically, aren't necessarily great creatures. Second thing, leaven. They are commanded to eat unleavened bread. So leaven in bread isn't usually a good thing. And later, we're also going to see that Jesus is going to say, I warn you against the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And they're like, well, should we bring our own bread? What are you talking he's like, you don't get what I'm talking about, guys, okay? So that's my understanding for this in context of this and in the context of Matthew where I'm going to posit perhaps this isn't a positive parable, but rather maybe a negative parable. Also, historically, if we look at trees, trees are this idea of kingdoms within the world. Think back to Daniel where it talks about this tree growing and then the tree was cut down and then there was a band, put, I think it's Daniel, a band put around the tree and it couldn't grow and then from that tree later, a shoot would grow, this idea of this new messianic kingdom. I digress. All I'm saying here is this. It's a small little seed produces a kingdom, an unforeseen kingdom, one that's the smallest seed, a very modest seed. I believe that is the church in this modern age. However, he says it's going to grow to the point where birds are going to perch in its branches. And in fact, they're going to build nests there, which I think, beware of the false teachers that are going to come. Secondly, it's like leaven that was, and it says here, hid in these three measures of, of flour until all was leavened. And so again, this idea of the kingdom is going to be here on this earth, but we need to be watchful and prepared that there is both the good and the bad that are part of this spiritual kingdom in our present age. Does that make sense? For me, it does. You can decide. But I get this because of Matthew 16, 6 through 12, where it talks about this idea uh, is further along in there. But Satan is in the business of counterfeits. That's what he does. And so naturally then, Satan would try to transgress the kingdom by making false believers in a false gospel, having false righteousness, part of a false church, and eventually will make the false Christ to seal it all over. And so, while this parable of the mustard seed and this parable of the leaven could absolutely be, as is most oftenly preached, a sign of the growth in the kingdom of this world, how it's something small and humble, this mustard seed that nobody really you know, thinks anything about, and then will later grow into such a large thing that, you know, just an amazing bush tree, mustard bush, And it can be like leaven. You know, we're supposed to be salt, we're supposed to be light, we're supposed to permeate, we're supposed to, I guess, guerrilla warfare, share the gospel, guerrilla warfare, I guess, style, or or whatever. It could be that for sure. I also think based on these birds from just five minutes ago and the leaven that we're going to see, it could also be a warning against the falseness of the kingdom. Stick a pin in it. I love you. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, I praise you that these parables are meant to both conceal and reveal. God, I pray that as we've looked at these parables today, that that is exactly what has taken place, that your word would have been concealed for those whose eyes are closed and ears are stopped and revealed to those who are longing to view and hear of your kingdom. But I also pray by your grace, Lord, that those who would have their eyes closed and ears stopped, that you, by your grace, might give them eyes to see and ears to hear. That we all might humbly come before you as the good shepherd and as the good farmer and ask that you would do your work in our hearts. That you would make us the good soil. That we might glorify your name. We ask this because you are worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you all. I hope you have a good day.